This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com forward slash free books to download this book as a PDF. Through New Eyes Developing a Biblical View of the World James B. Jordan Copyright 1988 Published by Wolgamoth and Hyatt Brentwood, Tennessee To our friends at Westminster and Good Shepherd Acknowledgements From 1980 to 1988, we lived in Tyler, Texas, and were members of Westminster Presbyterian Church, which became Good Shepherd Episcopal Church in 1987. This book is dedicated to our friends of those years, a group of godly people who have borne with grace the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. You have our love. Part of this book was written while I was employed by Westminster Presbyterian Church as administrator of Geneva Ministries, then a ministry of the church. After I left that position, Dr. Gary North of the Institute for Christian Economics provided me with a living by commissioning me to do some background studies in Leviticus. Because of his generosity and support of my labors, I was able in my spare time to complete this present book. Many thanks, Gary. Parts of this book have seen more informal circulation elsewhere in the past. I have noted where this is the case. In 1987, Geneva Ministries put out two sets of tapes, each with a workbook that gave in lecture form the gist of much of this book. The series Rock, Stars, and Dinosaurs concerns basic worldview symbolism. The series The Garden of God concerns the transformation of the world and history, focusing on the Garden of Eden, Tabernacle, Temple, etc., the material in the present book supersedes what is found in those tape sets. I must also thank the following people who read the manuscript and provided encouragement and sound advice. Messrs. Michael Hyatt and George Grant of Wolgamoth and Hyatt Publishers. Introduction There are a number of books available on Christian worldviews, but precious little on the biblical worldview. By drawing this distinction, I am not belittling the former. There is certainly a place for books that set out the Christian view of philosophy, history, art, science, man, etc., using the vocabulary of our modern age. There is also, however, a real need for books that dig into the Bible and set out the Bible's own worldview, explaining the Bible's own language. The biblical worldview is not given to us in this discursive and analytical language of philosophy and science, but in the rich and compact language of symbolism and art. It is pictured in ritual and architecture, in numerical structures and geographical directions, in symbols and types, in trees and stars. In short, it is given to us in a pre-modern package that seems at places very strange. For instance, when we come to the Bible with questions about animals, we think in terms of biology, the nature of genesis and species, and the like. The Bible, however, discusses animals in terms of kinds, distinguishes between clean and unclean beasts, and tells us to observe the ways of animals as they live. The biblical worldview of animals, while it does not necessarily contradict the findings of modern biology, is certainly different. Similarly, if we approach the Bible with questions about botany, we find that the Bible discusses plants and trees in terms of how they symbolize various kinds of men, or in terms of their usefulness for food and medicine. When we look at the stars, we imagine millions of suns very far away from us. 
There are several variables, double stars, neutron stars, galaxy and quasars. In the Bible, however, stars are given as signs and seasons and for days and years. Genesis 1 verse 14 Because the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork, Psalm 19. While the biblical perspective does not invalidate the telescopic investigation of the starry heaven, could it be that we are not seeing all we should see when we look at the stars? Do we need new eyes? The philosophy of history is extremely important for man, especially today after Hegel and Marx, Toynbee and Spangler. When we go to the Bible for a philosophy of history, however, we encounter covenant renewals, Sabbaths, festivals, jubilee years, and the day of the Lord. If we intend to apply the Bible to this modern problem, we shall first have to acquire the biblical perspective. Geography for us is a study of maps, some marked with contour lines, others with natural resources, others with political divisions. While the Bible is obviously not ignorant of these things, the biblical worldview speaks of such things as the four corners of the earth and of the holy ground. Modern science assumes that the world is governed by impersonal natural forces such as gravity, Coriolis, and, and electromagnetism. Such forces explain the actions of winds and waves. In the Bible, however, trust in such natural forces is called Baalism. The Bible encourages us to see God and his angels at work in the winds and waves. Is this mere poetry, or does it give us a perspective badly needed in our modern world? We wrestle with the problems of church and state, but the Bible gives us priests and kings. It gives us the relationship between seers and judges, and between prophets and monarchs. It gives us blood avengers and kinsmen redeemers. It gives us kingly palaces and priestly sanctuaries. Are we familiar enough with the biblical worldview to apply these categories to modern concerns? We are concerned about law, and we distinguish between state law and church law. We speak of moral law, of criminal law, of civil law, of canon law. And when we turn to the Mosaic law, we expect to find these categories, but we don't. We find what look like the moral, civil, and ceremonial laws all mixed up together. In fact, we find that the Mosaic law is not law at all, in the modern sense, but Torah, something radically different and more profound. And what should we do with this Mosaic Torah? Should we try to apply it to modern circumstances, or should we ignore it? Finally, in summary, 20th century Christians are used to discussing worldview questions in the language of philosophy, while the Bible sets forth its worldview very often in the language of visual imagery, symbolism, and repeated patterns, typology. We should not be surprised if men do not view God's world rightly. Romans 1 verse 20 tells us that since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. This means that all men are confronted constantly with God's true worldview because they clearly see the true nature of things, including the nature of God Himself. Yet as Romans 1 verse 18 says, Men suppress the truth in unrighteousness, that is, they refuse to see the world rightly. It is possible to suppress the truth by means of direct contradiction, but that is hard to do. If we contradict the whole world, we shall have to commit suicide, which indeed is a way out for some people. 
It is more common, however, for men to take part of the truth and abuse it in order to negate the rest of the truth. Men take a small part of the truth and then pretend that this fragment is the whole truth. That way, they can suppress the true world picture, the true basic interpretation of reality. For instance, modern man takes part of the truth about the arrangement of the universe, that it is peppered with various kinds of suns, called stars, arranged into galaxies, etc., and uses this truth to suppress the more important truth that the heavens declare God's glory, and that the heavenly bodies were made for signs and seasons. To take one more example, modern man notices that animals resemble each other and human beings. The Bible says that these resemblances are by creation design, so that men can learn about themselves by studying animals. Modern man takes this truth and perverts it into the error of evolution, the belief that men are genetically related to animals. The relationship between modern science and the Bible has been well described by Vincent Rossi. He writes, Living symbolism, by which he means a biblical view of the world, does not deny science as a mode of knowing about our world, but serves to place scientific fact and methods of proof in a large multi-dimensional context that includes spirit, revelation, prophecy, and the sacred as modes of meaning and knowing. For example, events of the past can be seen to have symbolic meaning that may instruct, warn, or nurture the present life. In the teaching of the Father, this is called typology, past events serving as types or models of present or future reality. Symbolism, not science, is the true universal language. The God-centered principles contained in the Bible give us a vision to correct the one-dimensional, earthbound, man-centered meaning that the secular worldview puts on the facts. Correcting the secular worldview brings us to the purpose of this book. Our purpose is not to deal with the modern social problems, important as they are. Nor is our purpose to try and set out a Christian philosophical worldview, as much as we need to keep working in that area. Rather, our purpose is to get into the Bible and become as familiar as possible with the Bible's own worldview, language, and thought forms. Our purpose is to learn to think the way people thought in Bible times, so that we see the world through new eyes, through Bible eyes. Thus, my job in this book is to try to familiarize you with this archaic worldview as much as I can and then show you the benefits of learning to think God's thoughts after Him, because there are real benefits to looking at the world through Bible eyes. There are two ways we can proceed. One is to take each biblical symbol or pattern and discuss all the possible interpretations of it, debating various points among ourselves and inching towards a consensus. If this book had been written that way, it would be 30,000 pages long with 5 million reference stones. The other way to proceed is for me to simply lay it all out, as I see it, without arguing in depth for every single point along the way. In this way, the overall system I am setting out will speak for itself, even if some of the individual points are debatable. That, obviously, is what I have chosen to do. After the first three chapters, which are introductory, we shall look in chapters 4 through 9 at the fundamental furniture of the world, rocks, stars, plants, animals, men, angels. In order for us to get familiar with these things, I'll be giving lots of illustrations from the Bible. Some of the illustrations may be debatable, that some scholars may think I should use this verse and not that one to make my point. That is all well and good, but I have elected not to debate the point extensively in this book. In the third and fourth parts of this book, 
We shall look at the succession of worlds as the Bible sets them out. The worlds of the Garden, of the Flood, of Abraham, of Moses, and so forth. Each of these worlds has its own symbolic structure, its own mode of existence, its own peculiar laws, and so forth. Moreover, each world takes up the preceding world and transforms it, so that each new world builds on the one that comes before it. Again, in order to make this point, I shall be giving lots of illustrations, particularly from the symbolic world models that were in use in each age. The Garden, Noah's Ark, Tabernacle, Temple, Jerusalem, etc. Scholars may, yea, doubtless will, take issue with some of my particular interpretations. The point, though, is the overall biblical worldview framework that I am setting out. Specifics can be debated. Of course, if I have not done my homework, then this book is nothing but a lot of speculation and hot air. So, there are reference notes at the back of the book. Students and critics can put a bookmark in the end notes section and follow along. The end notes accomplish three things. Some of them refer to other books and essays that substantiate what I have written in the text, or that at least give further arguments. Other end notes provide the arguments themselves. My third kind of endnote gives additional information that may be of interest to the Bible student. Those who consult the endnotes will find references to some specific background studies that I have written that support the findings presented in this book and that are available from Biblical Horizons, P.O. Box 132011, Tyler, Texas 75713. I invite the interested reader to write for more information on these. Additionally, I have supplied a somewhat annotated bibliography. I have listed here a number of books that have been of help to me. Some are written from liberal perspectives and must be used with care by evangelical Christians. I have tried to give guidance so that those who want to pursue the themes of this book can do so. The last chapter of this book consists of my thoughts on what I think the cash value of all this is. Can studying biblical symbolism really help us understand modern problems? Obviously, yes. As a Christian, I believe all the Bible is relevant to the modern problem. There are some particular benefits that I believe can accrue to the student of biblical worldview, and I have set these out in chapter 19. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.